I got these Ultra Tech socks. Well, it's been a long time. They, by all means, should have holes for as long as I've owned them. But uh, they had a gold toe, uh, yet they were athletic socks. And they were ankle socks. Really like the way they fit. They never come off your heel. They have a very firm heel socket design. If you're in the market for socks, I definitely would recommend Ultra Tech. But all of mine now have holes in them. It's time for some new socks. I hear all of the podcasters who are running ads for Bombas. Bombas has made a huge impact on the world. I am not running an ad for Bombas. Though if Bombas wants to approach me, I'd gladly do that. My guest today is Joe Barnes. He has written a handful of helpful books for men and women to help themselves. Self-help is an interesting category. If you're reading a book to help yourself, it's not self-help. It's author help. But that would be a weird category. You wouldn't necessarily gravitate toward it. And also, the term self-help makes you feel empowered, like, I'm doing this myself. When, in fact, you're reading a book or listening to a podcast, a self-help podcast. Yeah, self-help. Anyway, that's nothing against Joe. His help is very helpful. I enjoyed the podcast, and you'll even notice that there were points in the conversation where I went ahead and just leaned into him like he was going to help me think through some stuff, and he did. So if you're looking for some good books on business and business thinking and whatnot, I'd say Joe Barnes is a great guy to talk to. Uh, Did I mention this is a bonus episode? This is a bonus episode. I'll be dropping one a day every day this week to kind of clear out the cash, as it were, for beginning 2023. We're going to be doing some fun new things in the new year. And I think that it's going to make this podcast even more fun than it's already been. And it has been loads of fun. So please enjoy my conversation with Joe Barnes. Hey, I'm the Reluctant Book Marketer, and I've got just one question for you. Do you see your novel as a million-dollar asset? Because if you don't, and you want to, you're in the right place. This is the only show for novelists who want to shift their mindset away from fear and toward abundance. Because you can sell more books than you ever dreamed when you believe in what you're doing. My career as an author goes back uh, 10 years. I first published my book in 2012. I write personal development, self-help. So I had a book called Screw the System back in 2012, which I yeah. self-published. <laughs> yeah, take it to them. Sorry about that. And I guess I had... I guess... I, I actually had a mindset of lack at the time, or okay. I believed in all the things I've been told about how impossible it was to get a book publishing deal, how mm. difficult it was to make a living as an author. I'd been hearing that for maybe 10 years. Mm. Um, as a result of that, it stopped me even putting pen to paper for five years. Oh, my gosh. Um, and then I was really taking my time with my first book to make it as good as possible. Uh, but when it came to publishing, I initially tried to get a publishing deal, um, but I didn't I didn't make much effort because I had this mindset of lack. I think I contacted a couple of agents 
got notes from them and just thought, right, you know, let's put it on Amazon, self-publish. Mm. Let's see, let's see what happens. I had no concept of building an audience of um and, and, and what happened when you said, let's see what happens, the old let's see what happens method, you sold millions of copies, right? It was just like, oh my gosh, people couldn't get their hands on that book quick enough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think the extreme opposite of that. It took me yeah. six weeks to sell one copy to a non-family member. Mm. And I think it took me over a year to sell 100 copies. Okay. So that's that's how slow it was. Here's something phenomenal, actually. That's faster than most people are selling 100 copies. So in some weird way, you should congratulate yourself on the quality of the book because to sell 100 copies in a year with the let's see what happens method is pretty good. Well, I mean, let me let me correct you a little bit, Jody, because sure. it wasn't quite a let's see what happens because mm -hmm. I really believed in the book. I had been mm -hmm. working on it with a mentor who was a mm -hmm. best-selling author in the self-development field. So I, I believed right. it was good. But I very much had the mindset of because it's a good book, it will sell itself. And, right. that, and that was my fundamental mistake. Yes. And I had I had a, a friend on here, Liam, um, and he talked about that, too. And that is my story as well, which is that I wrote a book that I was like, this book's phenomenal. I know it is. It's been through the gauntlet. It's it's gone through everything. I was agented, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, it was guaranteed success because the book is truly a stunning book. And I'm comfortable saying that because by the time 50 people have their hands on a book, you can hardly even claim ownership of it anymore. It's a good book. It's seen everything. But the problem with the good book now, I mean, we're going to come up with a new term for it now. Instead of the let's see what happens method, we'll call it the good book will take care of the rest method. And that is equally as ineffective as the let's see what happens method. But it's the it's the build it and they will come method. It's right. The, exactly. From that uh, Kevin Costner field of dreams. Field yeah. Of dreams. It's yes. that, it's that approach. Yeah, that's probably the second most mentioned thing on this podcast, because I think it's a great movie and I love Kevin Costner um, and James Earl Jones. If he wants to do the intro for this podcast, I'm actually open for that. But uh, yeah, it, it hurt a lot of us in the idea that nobody's coming, even if you do yeah. build it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So from there, I, I spent I probably a good couple of years, few years, almost in denial, thinking, this can't be happening. You know, I put all of this energy and effort into writing, making the book as good as it could possibly be. And I'm still, still only seeing a trickle of sales. You know, is there something wrong with my book? Is there something wrong with the title of the book? I actually mm. did change the title of the book from screw the system to escape the system because mm. I thought I may be, it, it's, it wasn't a book primarily written for men. Uh, although it, it has a masculine slant to it. And I thought maybe it's putting off female readership and female readership mm. is a big, big portion of the self-help market. So I softened it a little with escape the system, tried one or two other things and nothing was really working until probably mm. around 2015, 2016. I got my head around the idea that you have to have an audience for your book. You could just can't write yeah. the thing. You've got to cultivate and build an audience. Absolutely. So before we get to there, I want to stop and talk about something that I think is really important in mindset. And it actually has to do with audience. But you mentioned kind of a masculine slant versus a more universal male female kind of appeal. Um, 
I notice, and this is just me diving diving into the metrics of my podcast, that I get more male listeners by about a factor of two. So um, for reasons that I'm not fully aware of, I seem to appeal to dudes more than ladies. And part of me wants to embrace that. And part of me wants to fix what I see as a, an, an issue that um, I view my, my audience as being all novelists who want to improve their marketing mindset. Um, what are your thoughts on, on sort of the appeal of a masculine message or is it okay to lean into that or should you intentionally try to fix that? What was your experience there? I think, I think it's actually beneficial to go one way or the other. Okay. So like to lean into that masculine sort of tone and energy. Yeah. In fact, my, my writing mentor said to me, you should say this is a, you know, like a motivational book Book for men, men, basically say that exclusively, but I was never comfortable with that because I want the book to, to to everyone to read it. And I've had many women who've read it and and been inspired by it. So I I didn't want to, to cut that side of my audience off, but Mm. I look on YouTube, um, not just at books, but in terms of, um, you know, content creation. And I think people do well when they position themselves as one or the other. So mm. I really think either approach is valid. But if, for me, yeah. I just didn't want to say women can't read my book, basically. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I mean, um, I've got I've got my book right now, The Seven Figure Marketing Mindset for Novelists. I think that I know when I wrote the book, I was speaking to writers who wanted to improve their marketing mindset. I mean, I'm using all of my own lessons to to create this book. And it's not specifically for novelists. I think poets poets could benefit hugely from the message. Uh, I think that memoir writers could benefit hugely from the message. But there was a part of me that was like, I'm a novelist and novels are what I understand. And when it comes down to it, I actually know how to sell a novel better than I know how to sell nonfiction. So if I'm pulling from all of those elements of data, then the book is for novelists and I'm going to lean into that. And I'll get some pushback from people when I try to sell a copy and they're like, well, I'm not a novelist. And I'll be like, okay, you win that conversation, but you probably will still benefit from the book if you're willing to give it a try. So there's kind of trade-off and I've actually experienced it live and in person. How about you? In terms of um... experiencing your own uh limitations your own niching down like you've actually lost the sale because you niched too far i don't really tend to do that to be honest no okay and and i think maybe to my detriment in some ways but i do Mm. try to remain as sort of fluid and and open as possible so i can't say i've had that experience okay well, I mean, because that's that's where the conversation was leading as you were talking about sort of thinking about the masculine message and wanting you chose to step it back. But at some point, you're speaking to someone, right? Or are you really trying to keep screw the system open to 100% of anybody who needs any form of self-help or how no, is... No, 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 no. Yeah. Okay. Now I get you, Jody. So yeah, escape the system, by the way, because I did update. Right. You changed. And that's actually why what I was talking about is you changed the ah, title okay. for a reason yes, because yes. you felt like screw the system was too Got niche. So okay. you changed yeah. it to escape. Escape. Hmm? escape the system is basically appealing to artists, uh, coaches, and entrepreneurs. That's mm-hmm. the that's the niche. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that is, yeah, that is whether you are male or female. Um, Reb, I guess to a lesser extent, people who have a slightly rebellious mindset, if you can say that's a, a niche rebels, I guess mm-hmm. my, my book I'm writing at the moment is called the rebel code. 
So mm. that's that again is sort of a similar niche, but that's that's the direction I go when it comes to uh, niching. Mm-hmm. I just had a conversation yesterday with Sophie St. Thomas and uh, her her niche is and you say niche, I say niche. It's they're both 100 percent valid. It's just if I start saying niche, I'll switch back and forth and then I'll be niching, niching all day long. It's it's awful. Um, so I was speaking with Sophie and I told her right off the bat, like your brand is so utterly clear to me. And she said, like, what do you mean? How is that possible? I feel like I don't know what my brand is. And I was like, well, your book is called Sex Witch. So I feel like those two words tell me immediately who you are and everything you do is going to kind of attach itself to the the witch part of it. Um, and so she's built this great brand through the the lighting, the color of everything she's doing, the titles of her book, everything is working for her. Uh, and I'm trying, I'm trying to bring this back to to what you were saying, because I think that there's something really strange in what happens to us when we really commit to the rebel or when we commit to the male audience is that someone looks at that book and they're like, I know that's supposed to be for someone not like me, but I'm more intrigued to read it because it looks verboten, forbidden. So mm-hmm. thoughts there? Have you, have you had any experiences there? Yeah, I, I've seen that with, in a sense, that some women will read a book that's just for men, and yeah. you do get, you do see that even with uh, an uh, an author or a creator whose audience is supposed to be a hundred percent men, you still see that they maybe they have a ten percent following that that is with women. So I, I do think there's, I think you're, you, you, there is some validity in, in in what you're saying. I think that that. That this is this this reverse psychology. This mm-hmm. is not for you. That's right. the message. It's not for you. Intrigues them. Well, why yeah. is it not for me? I want right. to discover a little bit more about this now. Yeah. Okay. So, anyways, I kind of hijacked your story, but I just wanted to get away from you. You you were kind of moving really quickly toward discovering your audience with uh, escape the system. And so I wanted to take a minute to just explore what was there because I think my guess is that there was even more thought process that went into the title change. And then the few years that led to like, okay, I really have to tap into my audience. So let's get back to that piece of the story again. So, yeah. So sort of, uh, 2015, 2016, it was just, it was just greater time spent on the internet uh trying to learn from people who were in marketing um trying to just you know just get a because prior to 2012 when i self-published i wasn't on any social media i hated Mm. it um i didn't really go on the internet i was very much an analog person so i would it was a it was an entirely new world an ecosystem i was trying to learn about so marketing was very foreign to me as well. So the yep. the idea that I needed to find an audience, I was just like, well, what, you know, what does this what does this mean? Um, um, you know, the I remember watching a documentary about uh, the guy who made the album Tubular Bells. Have you do have you ever heard of that? It was way back in the seventies. It's the theme for uh, The Exorcist, the horror film. He okay. just made an entirely he made this crazy creative album with no singing, just all instrumental. But these reminds amazing me of tracks. Tommy for for the Who when they made that album and the movie. Maybe yeah, maybe something like that. And he he signed to Richard Branson's Virgin label right at the start. He was kind of the artist that, that got the whole label going. 
And he was being interviewed and they said to him, you know, who's your audience? Who are you creating this for? Why, why are you doing it? And he was just like nonplussed. He was just like, he was massively introverted. He just, I've got to create it. It was, that was all he said. Mm. I, I don't think about these things. I just have to create yeah. and I have to do this. And oh, I was very wow. much in that mindset and mentality. Yeah. I had a message I needed to share. I had uh. to get it out of me. And that's what it was. So then the idea that there's an audience I have to mm -hmm. find, I have to define this. This is really strange to me. I, I found that very difficult to, to learn. Yeah. The, the, the stopping point here, and you're probably getting to it in your own way, but I want to really highlight what's happening here is you have an artist who then becomes represented by Virgin through Richard Branson. All of a sudden, all of the marketing impetus that that artist had, that, that compulsion to create, all of the marketing message niching down, all of that kind of stuff is taken off of his plate. He's no longer responsible for marketing himself to an audience. So he continues forward with this misunderstanding that he is universally uh, appealing because someone else is doing the hard work for him of finding his audience and building that that like very special love. Um, and, and that has happened to us in the worst way in every, I think, art, but especially in film, TV and writing. We see that if you go with a traditional publisher, someone else can take over all of the marketing efforts. And then you falsely believe you don't have to actually do it. Not a big deal. Like someone else will take care of it. In fact, it doesn't even happen. I'm just ultimately that appealing. And Funnily enough, you you say that, uh, Jody, it sparks back a memory in my mind. By the way, the guy's called Mike Oldfield, just for All anyone right, who's perfect. the creator of the album. Um, I was, that was completely my mentality. I just kept imagining, it's funny, from 2012 to 2016, I kept thinking some marketing genius is going to discover me, we're going to partner up yeah. together, and he he or she is going to take care of all of that. So it was just something mm -hmm. I didn't, I probably, I just didn't want to um, take, take on board. And I think the switch in my mindset happened when I stopped thinking of it as marketing and told myself it's self-promotion. Mm -hmm. I don't know okay. why, but self-promotion seemed something I could do. Marketing wow. something, something I could, I was, was totally beyond me. Wow. Self-promotion. Okay. I think I can get my head around this because in a way I used to like self-promote myself at school. Uh, yeah. At secondary school, because I changed schools, uh, had enjoyed my, we call it primary school over here. Okay, I was going to say, so what, are, what are the, I actually don't know what's primary and what's secondary for Americans. Is, is, is uh, like four to 11, secondary 11 to 18. Oh, so okay. I was, I changed schools. I was, had a good primary years, lot very happy, lot very mm -hmm. fun. Not so good in secondary school. No real friends. I was isolated a lot of the time so i had to self-promote myself and almost invent a yeah. character to get attention that's fascinating but now that i'm kind of getting this round and it's still you know, this process is still ongoing to this day in my head that i need to invent some kind of character to promote my book i need to become mm. some kind of larger than life figure in order to promote my book because um just being a good guy it doesn't cut it yeah. Yeah. And there's uh there actually is some validity to that. There is some validity to the idea of creating a character for yourself to step into. Um, 
I don't think I've told the story on the podcast, but my wife and I went to a party for her cousin. Um, it was kind of a surprise birthday party, actually, for her, uh, her cousin's wife. But um, we all had to dress up. And my wife and I dressed up as Kurt Cobain and Courtney. Um, and I found it fascinating that I am usually not great in a party setting. Uh, I don't like large audiences. I am introverted in that way. If I don't have a plan of attack, I will melt into a corner and hope that somebody will talk me into salvation or something. But as Kurt Cobain, I shocked everybody at that party. All of a sudden, I was very lively and outgoing and just crazy on top of it. And this is all before I'd had my first drink. So um, it was. it's interesting how stepping into a character can change who you are. The problem with that is you can't be Kurt Cobain every day. And so you then have this question of like, when do I step into this idea to promote a book or my art or whatever? Did you experience some of that? Is that where the story is going a little bit? I'm still trying to find it, to be honest. I'm yeah. still trying to to create oh, any character you create. It's got to be an extension of yourself. It can't be inauthentic in any way. You just, I think, need to heighten Ooh some of the things you you already are and I, that's really what i'm i guess i'm i'm still working on right now um yeah. i can't unfortunately i can't give you an answer uh but i just have this uh, you know it's not just based on a feeling i have i've observed mm-hmm. it in many different fields strangely yeah. enough um wwe wrestling so mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> do you, you did you follow that at all when you were younger just a, so I'm I'm a Stone Cold Steve Austin, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, The yeah, Undertaker, well that, you know those kind of people. So that was exactly what I was going to say. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, he came into the WWE as the Ringmaster. That was his mm-hmm. gimmick, and nobody, yeah. you know, he was just boring. Nobody cared about him. But then <laughs> one day he said. Um, he quoted uh, the Bible three sixteen or something. That was his slogan. Okay. Yeah. And it's like Stone Cold, the bot- that's the bottom line because Stone Cold says so. And then he changed his name from the ringmaster to Stone Cold Steve Austin, started uh, using that slogan. Everything, it, it just clicked. It, it, yeah. it's, what it does is it sticks in people's minds. There's something mm. about you that sticks in somebody's mind. And then they might be more interested in reading your book yeah. or subscribing to your podcast or Ooh. listening to your, you watching your YouTube stuff. So Man. I'm, I, it's, the other area, the other book, which is really good for this, is 48 Laws of Power, Robert Greene. One of his laws is about gaining gaining people's attention. And he talks mm-hmm. about how you have to have a unique dress or something mm-hmm. about the way you dress mm-hmm. and a sort of catchphrase that you repeatedly use again and again. And that mm-hmm. helps you to gain attention. That is, oh, man. I mean, honestly, we could do an entirely separate podcast on that guy's work because he simultaneously fascinates me and creeps me out. Um, mm. He does a book about, and I, I'm, I don't remember the exact title of it, but basically like using archetype uh, to manipulate people. Um, so he's got like the seducer and the life of the party. I'm getting the wrong names of the archetypes here, but he actually goes deep into like become that character and then kind of take control of the situation through being the person who's a, a like a reckless flirt or something like that. And, it's it's undeniably true that people who who live inside of those roles have a leg up on on someone who is sort of like in this earnest search for meaning. I don't mm. know if I love it though, but yeah, I hear I hear where you're coming from. And sorry if I just poured like <laughs> cold water on on your 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 idea. He's just an interesting character to me. 
Yeah, no, I, I was fascinated. I had exactly the same reaction. I was like, yeah. I don't like this, but it's it's true. True. This this actually mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. I can't deny yeah. what he's writing. So, what would your catchphrase be right now if you if you were just going to try one on for? <laughs> well, I for yeah, it's funny, but something as simple as win in the end. Okay, um, I write self help. Um, I've always. I'm kind of this slow. I have the, all of the, I make progress, but it's slow. Okay. But somehow I get there in the end. So mm, my yeah. message is kind of win in the end. And hopefully that would appeal to other people who, you know, have had struggles throughout their life, but eventually want to win. Wow. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. Cause when you first said it, I was kind of like, I'm too impatient for that to work for me. I need to win right now. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I also really like when in the end, uh, I'm running a Kickstarter for my book and it's separate of selling my book to the public. So like my Twitter audience is going to be a large part of who's listening to this show. And for them, I'm really pushing on them and asking them, if you're going to buy a copy of the book, buy it from Amazon, because that helps with my seller rating. It helps with my rankings, give it a, a rating and review and everything. But then I'm actually trying to model a different way to sell a book. And so I'm I'm cold calling people right now to uh, insurance agents, restaurants, all kinds of things, people who have no interest in the book and asking them to use it as a marketing opportunity to get their name out there so that I can give the book to college students, because that's really who this book can help the most right now. Um, and it is a disaster, but I know that I will win this in the end. If it literally comes down to the final day, I will find a way to raise the the full $10,000 of commitments to buy copies and get this into the classroom. This is an editorial intervention. Just to note that some comments don't age well. Back to your regularly scheduled programming. So in that way, win in the end really fits because I step into disaster all the time. It's part of my nature is like, if I have a good idea, I just jump and then I figure out the logistics as I'm falling. Um, does that sound like you at all or does it mean yeah. still something different to you? No, 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 that, that absolutely. I guess it means what it means to each person, you know, I, yeah. I that completely, that is what I meant by it, but it's slightly different story, story to mine. And the fact that I tend yeah. to screw things up or take my time over things, but mm. I eventually, I've noticed in my life, I eventually do get to where I want to go. So that's that's my that's my kind of message. And in a world where everything is get rich quick or inst- Tony Robbins instant changes, maybe there is space for somebody yeah. who says um, it's okay if you don't win immediately. But you know, follow okay. this, follow follow me, or read my book, etc., and you will win in the end. It's better than never winning. Are you are you the anti Tony Robbins then? I wouldn't say the end. No, not exactly. I, I wouldn't say that. I quite like some of his stuff, so I couldn't I say, too. yeah, that I was completely, no, I wouldn't say so, no. Yeah. I had my friend uh, Jen Loudon on the podcast. Uh, her episode came out two weeks ago, and at the end, I referenced him, and she said, I can't stand him. He's a misogynist. And I was like, well, I just stepped in a pile of dookie, and I, I, I was not aware of anything where he'd been super misogynistic, but I can say that there are elements of Tony Robbins where he really puts a firm call to action on stop being afraid of trying to do massive things. And that is a message that really resonates with me. Um, um, I, if, if I were going to move toward what you're talking about, about having a catchphrase, it would be something to the effect of have unreasonable goals, um, unreasonably huge goals. 
I don't believe that having small goals helps people. Can, can I yeah. interject there, Jody? Because what Please. I really, I've li- obviously listened to your podcast and what yeah. I really like is, is we share the exact same goal, which is a million sales. Oh, nice. And I love it. Didn't you have a lady who was an author and she was talking about how she'd been quite successful with published or published books maybe 15 years ago. And eventually she got to a million sales, but recently things weren't going very well. And she was sort of, she was quite critical of your um, idea or your goal, your firm goal Mm -hmm. of a million. But I, yeah, I really like it. I, and I used to say it quite a lot. I don't say it so much now because I don't know, there's no need to keep telling people, but it's still firmly within me. Well, it goes against your idea of having a catchphrase though, but (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I don't know how you see it, but this is the way I break it down. When I started as an author, my first goal was one sale. Then it was mm-hmm. 100. Yeah. Then it was 1,000. Right now, it's 10,000. After yeah. that, 100,000. And then ultimately, a million. So yeah. that's that's just something I have in my mind. I don't know whether you see it, see it a similar way. But I just wanted to say, you know, that idea of sell a million resonates with me uh, massively. Mm-hmm. Really glad to hear that. And thank you for, for sharing your experience with it. So I, I will admittedly say I'm still working on the logistics of how this all works because there's one school that I kind of follow right now, which is my wife and I sit down ideally twice a day. I think right now we're, we're more like once a day in the morning and we write down our goals and we speak our goals to each other. And uh, our goals are so ridiculously unattainable as to be funny. So, um, Probably the most attainable goal that I write down every day right now is I have 20-20 vision and a full beard. Um, And those two things require me to get laser eye surgery and to get beard implants, which think what you want of it. But those are two things that I really want. Like I just have always identified that big bushy beard. Uh, In order to do that, I have to have the money to be able to like disposable income enough to feel comfortable making that decision. And there's so many things that have to happen before I get to that point. Um, So I think like... Yeah, sell a million copies of the seven figure marketing mindset for novelists has been a goal of mine for quite a while. I just recently changed it more because I thought that I wasn't necessarily reflecting my honest goal, which was that I'd like this book in the hand of every college writing student across America. Um, I don't understand college programs internationally enough to know whether that's actually a, a good thing for other people to have because marketing, I think in, in your country is a little bit different than in my country. And so I don't know if it jumps the pond perfectly. But uh, a bestseller, another goal I have is to be a bestseller with every novel. Now, in doing that, I know this is a really long anecdote. In doing that, I have not been thinking about the fine minutiae or the details that get me from a no-name nobody to that person. So that's kind of the trade-off, right? Mm. Yeah, I, it's funny. I've just just stumbled on something recently, and it's so simple. You may already do it, but... I to get to that one million sales, I have one goal every single day, one thing mm-hmm. I've got to complete. I've yes. got one thing I've got to complete each week. Mm-hmm. I've got one thing I've got to complete each month, and I've got one thing I've got to do every year. And is and that from I, the actual book called The One Thing? Is that the the philosophy well, it's, there? It's funny enough, it, it's a kind of hybrid of that because okay. I read that book, I loved mm-hmm. it. I was actually yeah. commi- commissioned to write a piece for that for a website. Oh wow! Awesome. And uh, that author, Gary Keller, mm-hmm. 
He has the idea of a time block, and that is that you should start your day with your most important thing and spend four hours on it interrupted. So as writers, that would obviously be our writing if we don't have another job to do, of course. But that, yeah. that is the whole thing. Often the case as writers, you either have to have a full-time job mm-hmm. or like me, you have a couple of uh, freelance roles, which you do. Yes that help supplement the income. So mm-hmm. I can't give four hours every morning to writing, unfortunately. But I discovered that if I just do set myself one goal and make sure I do that at any point during the day, then it really it really does help with my progress. And it's getting me closer to um, ultimately, you know, the 10,000 sales mark than the 100,000 sales mark. And that is the all the little steps connecting themselves between those big yeah. figures and where I am now. You know, I will I will say probably my biggest weakness, and this is speaking directly to that idea of kind of focusing on the micro because it's something I need to get better at. Uh, whatever project is number one in my life becomes like the one thing, but in in a way that I kind of exclude other other things. So, for example, anybody who pays enough attention to me, and there's probably only ten of you out there who pay enough attention to me to know I'm not on Twitter a ton right now. I'm actually still using my scheduler and putting tweets out there but I'm not as responsive as I was. Uh, And that started when I started the Kickstarter for my book. Like everything right now is calling farmers agents and state farm agents and restaurants and uh, figuring out this puzzle to the exclusion of everything else. Uh, And if I'm completely honest, I'm miserable because of it. I no showed you last week because I was thinking about how do I kickstart this Kickstarter? How do I get some sales? And so I'm out in the field, like walking into businesses cold. Um, I've sacrificed everything else in service of this because it's what I told myself I would do. So there's an imbalance right now. And I don't like the word balance in its truest form, but I'm doing something wrong for sure. Something wrong with that approach, you mean? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. My best guess is that I'm doing something wrong. Um, I've had, see, that's funny, Joe. Like I've had some good results when I sold out to growing my podcast that was all I did for close to three months. And I went from having a podcast with a couple hundred downloads uh, a week to many thousands of downloads a week. And my podcast is sitting in the top 2% of all podcasts right now because I I neglected everything else in my life to do that for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, I had really good results there and it made it easy. I'm having terrible results here and it makes me realize I need some sort of like give and take. What are your thoughts about that? I'm, 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 I'm telling you this, actually giving you an opportunity with your kind of like your steeping yeah. in self-help to like, what do you do? Yeah. I, I mean, first off, I have obviously listened to your podcast and I know about your cold approach and I thought, <laughs> yeah, I thought good on you. I thought that's brave. Yeah. I, I like it. Uh, you know, I used to tell people if I have to force people to buy my book in the end that's what i'm going to do <laughs> exactly i had to yeah. open a gunpoint and make them buy a copy <laughs> to get to my million sales so yeah in a way i quite like it but i guess what you're doing is gathering information aren't you you mm-hmm. are gathering information at the moment about how effective this approach is yeah and whether it needs to be fine-tuned or whether it needs to be ultimately ditched but maybe you haven't reached the stage where you have enough information yet so maybe it is a bit premature to say um you know this is this this i hate it this isn't working out i should be focus focusing my energy Mm -hmm. elsewhere and just because you don't like it doesn't necessarily mean that it isn't a good thing so i would probably say you just 
need to give it a bit more time and, and yeah. see what what information you gather. Yeah. My friend Neil, um, he's one of my few coaching clients. And there was a point where I was thinking about charging for coaching, but I was like, I'm too much of that person you just talked about who kind of like, I'm my own guinea pig. And so I can coach people based on like what I see is working or what the benefits of things are. Um, he may try this at some level, but it is really interesting because what, what you just said is there is a level where you could say, um, this is too ineffective to matter. This is too ineffective to move the needle. But at the same time, you, Neil, me, a lot of people who've been on this podcast, we're all of a, a mind that the current offerings for actually selling books are not sufficient. Books are on a decline in terms of uh, the breadth of authors who are getting attention is fewer now than it's ever been before. And so there are more people writing books, but fewer people getting read frequently. Mm. What do you think about that? I mean, what, what would you say if you were just going to throw something out in the dark is at least a start to answering that question? Yeah, I'd say I, I completely agree with you in terms of there being so few channels to, to promote yourself. Um, and I think probably as a self-help author, I probably have a couple more than than novelists do because I can run um, events, I can go and give talks and I can promote my book at the end of that. I mean, it's not a, it's not a great way of selling hundreds or thousands of copies, but mm -hmm. it, it is an additional way that you can do it. Um, I mean, part of the reason why I started a YouTube channel was hoping to promote my, my book. But what I've discovered mm -hmm. is that for me, social media channels very much a world's unto themselves it's quite mm. difficult to get people off youtube and onto yes. amazon to yes. buy your book perfectly said so it's it is it is there's a real need for that and that's why i could see you turning to something like just cold cold calling or knocking on doors because yeah. just we need more opportunities i guess amazon ad springs to mind i have been using that with varied varied uh, success over the last three years yeah. Um, but beyond that, it's just, you know, what, what you've got to try and think up of some inventive way to promote yourself, which I guess is yeah. what you, you hatched upon with, with what you're doing. Yeah. The, the hope is. And so the idea behind it is that, yeah, you get the, the insurance agent to put the book in the hands of your ideal reader so that you don't have to one-on-one -on -one ask every ideal reader to do it. You can say, Hey, Mr. Insurance or Mrs. or Miss insurance agent, um, will you, put 10 copies of this in the classroom for me. So now I have a one to 10 ratio and uh, 10 people get the book. And so like, yeah, I'm going to do a little advertising for them, but that's no different than how TV has been working for us for most of our lives. So I'm just kind of like changing the clothing on it a little bit. But if you go to a movie, uh, you're going to get the movie theater. They're going to do some promotion for themselves inside of the theater on the big screen. You're going to get uh advertisements in the form of previews for other movies that are coming out. You're going to get the popcorn and all that kind of stuff. So I'm just trying to think like, how do you turn a book into a theater experience? Is it mm. wrong to write your book, for example, and be like, Oh, part of my, part of my self-help journey was to use Lexapro. This book is sponsored by Lexapro. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, what, what are your thoughts there? <laughs> um, yeah, I just think anything, anything that can help us really yeah. is, is worth experimenting with. I think I, I actually left off my list there. Probably one of the biggest things and one of the things that's been most successful with me 
is partnering with other authors mm. and getting them to promote my book on their email list or, you know, an yeah. exchange, doing that in exchange. That is is one of the things which Huge. is very low cost um, and really, really is effective. Um, but obviously then the question is, how do you how do you build those partnerships, you know, and yes. making sure they're authentic part- partnerships, not just trying to to use somebody because they've got a mm-hmm. platform. Uh, exactly. Because I think that's probably quite see through if you're if you're trying to do that. But I think that that is a big one is is building the partnerships. Sometimes that sometimes there's something to it. Uh, you and I, and the, the reason that's a really great comment is that you and I came together. I think through something somewhat like that was, hey, I see an area where I think I can be a benefit to you, which. Uh, Partly is just having you on my podcast, getting your message out to people, giving you a chance to shine to an audience you might otherwise not speak to. Um, and and I don't think that we've really firmed up, you know, necessarily what you'll help me with. But there was a sense, I think when I reached out to you, if I remember basically, it was I think I basically did do a value proposition. I was like, I think we can both help each other. Mm-hmm. Um, this is another, I mean, we've dived into so many really difficult practical and mindset things. I've been talking about this and thinking about this a lot is that in order to get where we're going to sell a million copies of our book, we have to be comfortable doing some uncomfortable things. And that is one building friendships with people along the way so that we can be on their podcast. They can be on ours. We can gain access to their email list. They can gain access to ours. As you go, the web of connections gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And at some point I either have to choose like Joe and I just synergize so well that I I'm going to hang on to communicating with them at a large level, or Joe's going to kind of take a back seat because in order to get to that next tier, I need to free up time. And Joe is taking that time right now. This sounds so flipping mercenary. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. I think, I think everybody operates like that. It's yeah. it's it's sad in a way, but I it think is. everybody does. Um, I don't see it that way because partnerships don't have to be too time consuming, you know, yes. and you are helping each other out. So and I only partner with people. There's, for an example, um, a very, very successful self-help author, self-published. And if you want him as a guest for the show, I might try and connect you with him. Called Thibaut Maurice. He's written a book called uh, Master Your Emotions, which I think has sold hundreds of thousands of copies. Um, he's got some really good insights and stories. So if you want, I'll try and connect you to. Yeah, I would love that. But, you know, we initially would t- chat to each other quite a lot, but it was more just sort of as friends. And mm-hmm. then, you know, he kind of blew up massively. I've My growth has been nowhere near his, but it's sort of steady and slow. And over the years... Mm-hmm. But we still stay in touch occasionally. We still talk. So there's no need to, you know, cut people out of your or, or sort of use yeah. them until they're no longer useful. Yeah. But um, I think so many people do that. So even if you did, even if somebody was to do that, you, you wouldn't be on your own. I think it's unfortunately everybody is out for themselves. And mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's it's I don't know. I don't know whether people feel so desperate they have to do that. I don't think they should. And I don't think it's, I think you should only really build partnerships with people you, you actually, whose work you like and people, sorry, whose work you respect and people you like. So that, that for me is the the key. I I would agree with you wholeheartedly, especially on that last piece that, that like 
really be careful about the people you bring into the circle. Don't ever bring someone into the circle for numbers alone. Like f- make sure there's a fit there first. I think there are a couple of responses I have to what you're saying. The first is I grew up in the Christian tradition. And so uh, right around the time that I met my wife, I was engaged to another woman. I was leading a Bible study. So a bunch of young people would get together and study the Bible and eat food together and then go smoke cigarettes out on the porch afterwards. It was really just a rocking time. And uh, when I separated from the lady I was engaged with and got together with my wife, it was a fairly quick turnaround. Um, There's a lot of backstory that I'd be happy to tell anybody privately if they're just dying to know. But um, the pastor who had been really supporting me and backing me was kind of like, um, you know, we're not in support of this and everything. And so I said, okay, in light of that, I'll step away from my role. And he said, well, in light of that, I'm not going to be your friend anymore because I got shit to do. (laughs) you no longer factor into that. Like you're no longer useful to me. So I have wounds based on that behavior, but I find myself right now, there are people in my life who I I actually love and spend a lot of time with that probably need to start taking a back seat. I don't know how to do it ethically or correctly or lovingly. Um, So that's a real, that's the real emotion behind what I'm saying. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I, I think you just let it slide. I remember when I was in university and I emailed a friend from school telling them that I could no longer be friends with them for such right. and such. And it was honest, but yeah. it was just such a little Unnecessarily back. harmful. I was just such a jerk to do that. And yeah. I think he showed it to other people at school who oh. went to our school and they were just laughing. And I yeah. was such an idiot. <laughs> you, had, you had a good heart and uh, it, it didn't yeah, turn didn't out well. I yeah. didn't need to, to do that at all. You know, these things will just slide, mm-hmm. I think, over time without you, you know, because, you know, without you maintaining mm-hmm. them, um, I think, they will naturally I think, just. Yeah. What what you're saying is true. And I think that we do this, especially on a podcast or maybe in a book, is, is we do this sort of overperform to illustrate a topic of like, uh, if you're listening right now and you're one of the friends who is concerned, you might be a person I'm going to let slide right now. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do, but I think that there are people who are listening, who are a little bit afraid of maybe feeling like they need to recalibrate their life. And they're just concerned that they're, they're buttholes for doing it, that they're uh, careless jerks. And I can't even give myself permission to do it. So how can I give them permission to do that? Yeah. Oh, I, see what you're saying i i just don't i think you there are times not all the time but there are times when you have to put yourself first and i Mm -hmm. think that it's not it's not you're not wrong for doing that at all i think uh too often society teaches us to think of others before ourselves and i don't think that's the always the best way to approach life to have a happy fulfilled life that's not always the best way to to go about things there are times when you have to say no I come first right now, and um, I'm, I'm sorry about that, but that's the way it is. Yeah. So let's dig into that a little bit, because I, I think I agree with you, and I also think that there there's a way that I could hear that where I would think, you know, that sounds like absurdly selfish. So um, there's like Mother Teresa, you know, on one far end of the spectrum, who I, I think she would she would tell you or she would claim outwardly that she never came before anybody. She would be the last person to pick up a pair of shoes out of like, if there was a donation of shoes and hers were just in tatters, but she would let other people pick all the shoes. And if she had to take a too small pair of shoes for her own feet, so be it. Um, 
So there's there's that, which is the quote unquote selflessness, but there's also the sense that in order for Mother Teresa to be Mother Teresa, she had to embody a certain persona. And for her to take a pair of shoes before everybody else had picked a, a pair of shoes would be to defy her mission. And so if someone forced her to take a pair of shoes before being the last person, she would be choosing someone else above herself. Yeah. There's a weird catch-22 paradox there. Exactly. And in a way, maybe she was putting herself first, even when she was putting herself last, because that's what she, that inspired her. Being Mother mm-hmm. Teresa inspired yes. her. She loved, yes. she loved doing that. So I I really don't, um, especially as writers, you, you have to put yourself first sometimes. You know, we need that time alone without anybody else around us to sit mm-hmm. down and write. And we mm-hmm. can't let uh, girlfriends, boyfriends, husbands, wives, children even interfere mm-hmm. with that. You know, obviously there's a balance to it, but there is, you, you can't allow people to impinge on your time all of the time. Otherwise you're just, you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. So um, I think people have to develop a tougher, tougher skin again, tougher skin with that. If they are struggling to, you know, let set boundaries in their life. I think that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's boundaries. It's saying that this is my time. It's, you know, sacred Mm -hmm. outside of that. I'm here for you, but this is, this is, this is my time. Yeah. And in, in, in the, the wider context as well, it's kind of like, if I know I'm competing uh, with a college student's budget for uh, beer and pizza to ask that person to buy my book is going to be a challenge. But if I can get that book into that person's hands, they might check it out because they're already spending all that money on college. And so choosing myself first is choosing to talk to the insurance agent that I'm not super excited to speak with um, just based on the history of being hung up on and spoken poorly to. So it's this weird dance that you do. I'm choosing myself first by putting myself in harm's way. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I, I can see that. And, uh, it's um i guess it's quite a tough thing for for you to deal with when you're when you're experiencing those uh hang-ups or the you know a, a potential abuse that kind mm-hmm. of that kind of response that you might get yeah it's certainly not the right fit for everybody especially the wording that you use there i think is true i don't always think of it that way or you put those those labels on it but you are you are correct so Let's move back to to your books. And I don't want to talk practical tips because even before we started this, I said, you know, my podcast is not necessarily about practical tips, but I would love to know from you in terms of getting books out there, what are some creative ideas that you've chased? And um, how long do you stick with an idea that feels dead versus how long do you stick with something that is effective, but maybe your suspicious could be better? Okay, so I'll answer the first the second question first, how long do I stick with an idea that's dead? One of my ideas, and this rate relates to 1 million book sales, was that I would start a YouTube channel um, whereby that would chart my, chart my progress to selling 1 million book sales. Basically, I've read um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, mm-hmm. and he talks yeah. about having a definite chief aim in your life. My yeah. definite chief aim was obviously to sell a million sales. I gave my certain, myself a certain period of time. I think it worked out was 1,345 days. That's what I called my YouTube channel. And that was me charting the journey to doing that. Now, I thought that might, just because I found it interesting, I thought other people might find it interesting. And as a result of that, perhaps buy copies of my books. Well, mm. it was dead. You know, the channel, <laughs> my, yeah. my, 
My Escape the System channel has something like 1,300 subscribers. That channel had mm. 40, and it just mm. wasn't growing. And so I spent probably a year on it and quite wow. a lot of time. And then I just said, no, that, wow. this is just not. This is just this is time I could be using spent writing books basically. Right. So I went, I persisted with a year and then and mm. then just axed the thing. So the other question was, you know, creative ways to promote your work. Was that it? Could you just you know? Just I, I think honestly, you kind of answered both at the same time, which is, uh, you know, like what are some creative things that you did? Which you you talked about that, and then how long do you persist? Was basically the the attack yeah. onto that of when something maybe is working, but it's not as successful as you want. So for example, you could, you could go with the the thought process of like, okay, I only have 40 subscribers. So I need to figure out how to hack that and drive my subscribers up. But the amount of time that I would need to do that mm-hmm. is not effective compared to if I started out with the right mission, then a thousand people will naturally be interested in it. It's, um, why movies have alternate endings is that they'll do some, some audience testing and they'll be like, okay, naturally without us doing any work, people really were interested in this idea and less so in this idea. So if we just tweak these things, we take uh, or put more wind in our sails or something like that. And I, th- I think that you more or less, you touched on both of those by saying you started a new channel that, that grew to a thousand without having to sacrifice your left eyeball to the gods of ratings. Mm-hmm yeah yeah so that 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 is how that one uh, disintegrated the the other stuff i do is having a i have a personal development group called success club so we meet every month mm. um it's usually based around you know as i mentioned earlier my audience is artists coaches entrepreneurs so it's mm. for artists coaches entrepreneurs okay. i give a little bit of a presentation we discuss what we're up to, set up, set ourselves some accountability goals. Mm. I even finished the session off with a little uh, group hypnosis because I am a, okay. a hypnotherapist as well. So, ah. um, so I promote my work through them. The only slight problem of that is that they've all bought my, all of my books. So it's it's like mm. there's not the the audience isn't growing enough to sustain book selling. But right, it is a very it's, okay. So get book sales. It's just a valuable thing for me to do in terms of personal development, in terms of mm-hmm. me just enjoying creating that community as well. I really like I really like the idea as I understood it. And then the more you talked about it, the more I wondered if if there were opportunities inside of there that you're missing out on. So as I originally understood it, you were you were bringing people to the table who were interested in doing some of the same same things that you were basically. Um, and so you were kind of giving a presentation to those people uh, about doing those things. Is that more or less correct at this point? So yeah, pretty much. My thought process was, what if you, and, and, and then I'll say where I think I went off track, or maybe I misunderstood you, but you're actually trying to grow that group. So you don't want it to be an intimate, you know, apostles of 12 or anything like that. You would, you would be happy if it grew to a thousand. Is that Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So it's a little bit different than what I was thinking, but one of the things, uh, and it goes back to our conversation earlier is that I have one of the goals I put down every morning and evening. If I do it twice a day with my wife is, um, that my friends are more influential than I am. Um, and that, that goes back again to the other goal of kind of like leaving some people behind as you're growing into new areas. I was thinking about your circle as being a place where maybe you're the smallest fish in a pond. Um, and you literally are trying to invite people into your group to do the presentation, to be like, hey, I organized this um, because I realize I don't know all the things. And so will you present this 
week or month or however frequently you do it. Uh, and by then, like gain association to people who are more influential than you. Yeah, uh, it's it's a good idea. I have tried to bring one or two people in, and it's also, uh, you know, you mentioning that it connects with something I'm I'm reading right now, which is uh, a Malcolm Gladwell book called mm. the, the Tipping Point. Yes, it's about how do how Great do book. ideas take off, yes. and he talks about people who are connectors, and if yes. you can. Get your book or your product out to a connector. That is the person who who reaches, you know, has thousands of thousands of That's connections, right. which right. can really get something to tip. So you saying that, yeah, absolutely. It makes mm. me think, uh, yeah, the, the group is very much based around me. And yeah. maybe bringing in other people would help me find that connector who, mm-hmm. who, who's got that, you know, um, hundreds of thousands of followers yeah. on Twitter or, or and, Instagram. And then building from there so that you have that larger group that you're seeking to build and and keeping a really smaller inner circle inside of that group where you have people who are doing amazing things that are willing to lend you once a quarter some kind of time to share with you the things that are successful. Um, and then just a little Easter egg for those of you who have read The Tipping Point or anything else by Malcolm Gladwell. I am a maven. Do you know what you yeah. are? I haven't discussed, I have only started. So I've right. got connectors. I just funny at lunchtime, I got onto Maven. So I just discovered the definition of that. I guarantee you, as you're reading through it, you'll be like, yep, Jody is absolutely a Maven. That is my role in society. So um, I'll, I'll let you save that for as you're reading, because I think you'll, you'll have fun with it. And you'll be like, yeah, that's why he can't shut up. okay so in conclusion because we are running into the hour timeline and i could go longer but i actually want to get out on the streets and start selling some books uh tell everybody where they can find your most recent book how they can connect with you if they want to know more and what's the most important thing on your horizon okay so escape the system we've talked about do the work you love um, I've got a publishing deal for that. It was out in 2020. So if you look those two up on Amazon, Escape the System or Do the Work You Love, my name is Joe Barnes. Uh, you could also check out my website, which is escapethesystemnow.com. That's got my blog um, on Twitter. can't even remember my own. <laughs> That's all right. I'll link, I'll link to you how, how, uh, how I need to probably take Twitter a bit more seriously. But it is escape hyphen or underscore escape underscore system 19. And on Instagram, it's escape the system 19. So those are the the best ways to get hold of me. Perfect. Okay. I will have all links to those in the show notes. Thank you uh, for bearing with me. As I said earlier, uh, I know showed you last week completely because my head was elsewhere. And um, so I, I just appreciate a ton that you are willing to give me a, a maybe a third or fourth chance. And I look forward to <laughs> remaining connected until you're useless to me. <laughs> it was it was it was worth it, Jody. Thank you. Yeah, it was. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a big favor right now. Click on the follow button in whatever podcast app you're listening on. That way you'll get notifications every time I drop a new episode. And if you still can't get enough, you can go to the show notes, click the link for my newsletter and sign up today. I'll give you one to two interesting pieces of content every single month that you won't hear on the podcast or find laying around on the internet.